We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. Today, we're going to, I think, conclude our series of giving people credit for their contribution to the Lakers 2020 NBA championship. And we're going to finish on the newest person involved in the mix, and that's Anthony Davis. Uh, AD came over here, as, as we all know, in the trade over this last offseason, which seems like a long time ago. And I guess it was. It was about a year and a half ago. But this was the first season where we got to see him up close and personal. And he's one of the league's NBA superstars. And I realized from watching him throughout the season that I he's better than I thought he was going to be. And watching a player on a day-to-day basis really fills in a lot of those gaps and like everyone knew AD was a superstar, but so, so many of the details of his game really came to light this season. So I want to start there, Mike, you're a guy, you watch more general NBA than I have in the past. You've got us, we were doing the Wednesday pods on general NBA and I'm beefing my, uh, my tape watching of other teams up for that, but you were 
you have a really good expansive knowledge around the league. So I think you probably had a better feel for who AD was as a player than I did in terms of the specifics of his game. But from seeing him up close this season, what stood out to you that maybe you didn't entirely see or give more nuance to from seeing him on that day-to-day basis? Oh, what's happening, guys? It's it's been a such a glorious weekend. Uh, to and talking to you guys to finish things off, you know, just puts me in a warm place. And talking about Anthony Davis on the basketball court will just continue that positive flow. So if if there's one thing that was a little bit surprising to me, and especially in the postseason, was just how supremely wet the jump shot was. The defense was so obvious, uh, I thought, in the past, and he showed that throughout the season. His post moves, the fact that he can score inside, the fact that he's great at getting to the free throw line. Um, even the, the three-point shot had started to develop, to develop some, so you knew that he could hit it. But the ease with which he's able to you know, kind of rock you off the dribble and rise up from mid-range uh, to hit fadeaways, to hit pull-ups, all types of shots. And this is illustrated. Just go to NBA.com backslash stats and bring up his uh, his splits from shooting and look in the playoffs. And it's like, I don't care if you take less than five feet, uh, 80.5 percent, 15 to 19 feet, 57.7 percent, which is an insane number. Uh, 30 for 52, especially for like that type of stuff. You can keep going to different spots. But that was the thing that to me makes him absolutely impossible, Darius, uh, for an opponent. So he's a ridiculous shot maker in general. As we've talked about before, I live in the Bay Area and I saw his first playoff appearance where he played against the Warriors, right? And the Pelicans went down, I think, maybe 4-1. They might have even gotten swept. But AD was getting 30 points a night, being defended a lot by like Draymond Green, right? And they were throwing big bodies at him and... His shot making in general, and Pete and I talked about this a lot over the course of the season, but his ability to hit shots while seemingly off balance, but still being able to square his shoulders and and get on balance in weird ways. So all of that skill stuff that you mentioned, Mike, that stuff is like otherworldly to me. And I think that he raised his game a level in the playoffs, but that's also his M.O., he hasn't had a chance to do that a lot because he this was only, I think, his third postseason appearance this year when he went with well, with the Lakers. But all of the just all of the skill combination stuff that he uses in order to get to different spots on the floor. And then even when it seems like he's bottled up some his high release point or his long arms still allow him to get shots off in in a way that is similar to a guard in a lot of ways, which I think speaks to his history. Right, Pete? Yeah, that's something I, to put it in in broad terms, I began this season thinking of Anthony Davis as a big man, and I ended it thinking of him as a big wing. And a lot of that comes from the type of, that's those combination of skills that you were talking about, Darius, it can only come from work in the gym, right? He's one of those guys that's supremely gifted from just a raw talent standpoint, but those step backs, the, like if you're on the page that I thought you were on, Mike, if you scroll down a bit, it, it will separate by the types of shots that guys will make. And you can filter it for regular season or playoffs. I believe he was like 14 of 22 on step back jumpers in the playoffs, 14 of 22. That's what 63.6%. 
that's wild, right? Like the ability to hit those types of shots. I think you got to go to splits if you're looking for it, right? Uh, yeah, you, no, you're right. 14 for 22, step back, step back. Yeah, step and back. so he's, and if you scroll through that, the different shot types, if you look at the more difficult ones, a, a lot of them, he's 50%. He was a 50% mid-range guy throughout the playoffs. And well, your Pete, that, just, to, I want, just to, to illustrate your point for those listening, I'm just going to list off a couple of these. Okay, please. Just, like just for fun. Okay. Love this. Uh, so alley-oop dunk shot, cutting dunk shot, cutting finger roll layup, driving dunk, driving finger roll, driving floating bank shot, driving reverse layup shot, floating jump shot, finger roll layup shot, jump bank shot, pull up jump shot, running alley-oop layup shot, uh, step back jump shot, tip dunk shot, turn around fadeaway baseline or bank shot, turn around bank hook shot. Turn around, fade away shot. Like, like there's a lot of stuff in that bag is the point. That's, it's, it's, it's a very big bag. It's a lot, very spacious. Yes. That's and Santa's bag, dog. That's right. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's right. Yes. He's got a Santa's yeah. bag. Exactly. And as you said as well, Darius, is that he can do all of that. And then he can get to a vertical plane where nobody else can bother it. Right. Like that's his great that's his great bailout, right? Like there's nobody that can smother him in a way that like a six, seven wing can, Anthony Davis can swallow up that kind of guy, but nobody can do that to him. He reminds me of just the way he shot the jumper this round. It was this, it was almost Dirk-like in a way, the way that he was hitting shots from the mid range right now. I'm talking about more like shot type more so than like how he got in to those types of shots. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he did much more off the dribble work and Dirk was much more of a triple threat guy, like that jab step guy or a post up and then dip the shoulder and then fade off of you type. And AD was dribbling in to those moves. The shot that will always stick with me throughout this playoff run was when he was up against Whiteside. It was on the right sideline, and it was that play where Le- yeah. where they cut to LeBron, right? And he's like, "Are you kid kidding me?" And he's like waving the towel, mm-hmm. um, where he like ripped through and then hard dribble right hand, and then did a spin move dribble, and then hit the step back off of the spin move. And it's like that's a ridiculous combination of moves. Like that's a two K move where you're like, oh, joystick this way. All right, X button. All right, and then joystick back. And then it's like- Darius, that's a Kobe move, man. Yeah. From like, from people who grew up up on Kobe, those types of triple threat or footwork-based type shots. Like it was such, and it complements LeBron so well in that that's not really LeBron's game. And so the ability to throw the ball into a guy in that range and if you've got a 50% mid-range shooter as a superstar, that is just absolute playoff gold, Mike. Because as you often say, right, like that's, you got to be able to hit those shots in the playoffs. Well, the reason why I think we've been focusing on the offensive part of this and you asked what stood out is because the defensive side is so obvious and mm-hmm. is so expected. And, and that's really where he shined the most. That's really where the Lakers won the title on that end. But when you have all of the offensive stuff that we just described for these last couple minutes and then you're basically Dwight Howard level talent on the defensive end that's what makes you such a unicorn Uh, that's what makes him such a ridiculous combination and as you guys were talking about the fact that there isn't really a matchup for him I was thinking one matchup that I would love to see in a, a neutral site is him against LeBron 
And it's good news for the <laughs> Lakers. They don't have to see that. But just how would that go? Like it, LeBron has still never met somebody that can guard him to the point where he can't get to the rim uh, and finish around that person, whether that he's bringing a big out to the perimeter and driving by them and sealing him, uh, or whether it's a smaller guy and he's putting him uh, on his hip, which of course he didn't have early in his career, um, but he learned later. Like that, that type of stuff is fascinating. How would he deal with Davis? How would Davis deal with LeBron? Because they, they, frankly, they never played much. You know, they played a couple times a year, and, and Davis missed a couple of those games, right? I, can you, Darius, or Pete, does anything come to mind? Like, the, the, oh, remember that AD LeBron game when they were going against each other? It doesn't. You know, the one where LeBron hit, it was last year, where LeBron hit that like one legged step back. You know, Patrick, you and do, do you practice that shot? Do you remember he hit like, a, it wasn't a game winner, but we were up three and it was in the last few seconds. And it was during that stretch where they were load managing AD and he hits that one legged three to put us up six with like 11 seconds left. And they cut over to AD, right? And and he's just like, that. Like, that's a bad, a bad dude. But in terms of like on the court, matchup, so, so AD last year, that was that the game in February. So AD played 21 minutes. He was 10 for 14. He had 22 and eight. But yeah, that but sounds they, right. Like, like they, it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they pulled him off the floor. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and that's, so yeah, not much in the way of those, of those one-on-one matchups. Um, but just a couple more things before we go to his defense that I wanted to bring up is his ball handling, his ability to dribble is as good yeah. as I've ever seen of a, from a player, his size, he's got so many moves where Obviously, he draws a lot of attention, but he will have like an escape dribble or like a push ahead dribble and he'll do it really low to the ground. He's he's able to contort his body in ways that players his size normally can't. So he can jump off of one foot and bend and he's got just remarkable touch. There's so many shots where the ball will hit the front of the rim and kind of nestle into the basket after it. You know, he shoots a soft ball on his Durant like. It's really Durant-like to me. There's yeah. not another player in the league right now, right? Like in history, you'll find guys like this. Dirk was a great a great example, but you they just shoot a soft ball. And Kobe was not a guy who shot a soft ball. He shot a lot of like line drive jumpers and he drilled a lot of jumpers. Curry, like you see this in smaller players a lot. Like Curry is like this where he just shoots a really soft ball and... For a guy to be 6'11 or 7 feet, there's not a lot of players like that. And that ability to sort of just put the ball in one hand, right, and and just flick it the way that he does when he's, when he's gliding left to right, um, it's just an incredible – like he's, he's just an incredibly skilled player. And, and then to – to think that he's like that wide shouldered and and still brings a physicality to his game as well. So there's that dunk that he had against I think it was against the Jazz early this year where he was isolated on the left wing and then he drove left, spun back middle to lose to lose his man and then Ed Davis came to challenge him. And he just dunked all over Ed Davis in, in a way where it was just a ridiculous show of force at the basket. And it's just super rare to have a player who can play with that much force on the interior 
the way that AD can, while also bringing such a skill game to the perimeter and the mid range, especially. Right. And so AD is not a, I'm going to shake you and shoot a pull up three, the way that Durant is. That's not his game. He is not a pure wing like that. Right. But he is, he is a big man who brings like 80% wing skill. Right. Where it's just like, okay, when he's at the top of his game, that's why he is like, oh, well, AD has 45 and 20, right? And not all of that is is on dunks. <laughs> it's like half of those are on mid-range jumpers where he's where he is stepping back or he's spinning off well off of a guy or or he's jab stepping a guy off and well and then just elevating, right? And so just an unbelievable player. And to speak to Mike's point about like what surprised you, it was how he just continued to get better and better over the course of the year. And, and by the time the playoffs came, it was fair to say like, Oh, he's challenging everyone as like potentially the best player in the league. And, and we'll get to the defense stuff because that ties in to that. But just as an offensive force, it was like, what can't this guy do? And the answer was nothing. So to two things to speak to that point. And one, you, you referenced this a bit earlier, but he was a point guard growing up and then he had the crazy growth spurt. So that right there tells you something about why he has the skills that he has at that height, which Things were a little bit different today with the way the game has changed. I would imagine when you're coaching kids and all the big men, right. Want to learn how to handle that. Wasn't the way when we were growing up now, he's, right. you know, significantly younger than us, but like, still he, if he were as big as he was as a percentage to his peers, he wouldn't have had that. And like, he wouldn't have had that kind of training and that kind of skill set that he grew up playing in the park in Chicago with. And so there's a, there are a lot of elements to his game, but it's also crazy that he's maintained the athletic grace through that growth spurt. Cause a lot of times when you have mm-hmm. that growth spurt, it's going to take something away from your fluidity. And that clearly never happened to Davis. And now the second thing to me, that's interesting offensively about him is his shot selection. And I remember during the regular season, there are various points where, you know, I'm in the arena, you and I, you, the three of us are texting and it's like, AD, think about the game against, um, oh, was it, okay, Memphis early in the season, right? Where he he just gets the free throw line a billion times. I think it yeah. ends up being 27 or something. And yeah. when you see that, it's, you think, okay, he can do that when he wants to. He may not, get, it may not result in 40 points and I'm getting fouled that much. But so when you see him, quote unquote, settling some or not making the, be- the best read sometimes out of a double, it reminded me a little bit of the way that Kobe played when like you knew that Kobe knew how to have to be his most efficient, but he would be trying stuff out and taking contested jump shots. And then it wasn't until the postseason came around that that really paid itself off. And I felt that way watching this postseason after watching his regular season and like, oh, yeah, that's why a lot of the stuff that AD was doing and testing came out when the defense picked up in the postseason. And it, it almost it's a little bit easy to now then forgive some of that decision making that happens less so with LeBron James, for example. But I wonder if you what you guys think of that difference and sort of after you watch the full package come together in the postseason, how that makes you think about the whole shot selection thing. I remember being so frustrated at points, especially in, remember we had that stretch and Mike, you were always a lot calmer about these things than, than I was as is our nature. But 
we went through a decent portion portion of the season where we hadn't really beaten too many good teams. And in a lot of those games, right, we're throwing the ball to AD 17 feet away from the basket and we're losing these games against good teams. And he's not, he's getting doubled, but he's not able to find the open man. He's not making the correct play out of this. And I remember being so frustrated by that, right? Like this isn't working. This isn't where AD is at his best. And then seeing that and, and, looking back at it now, I realized that that provided so many wonderful reps for him in games that we really saw that come out during the playoffs. I thought he made better passing reads, although I still think that making passing reads because he's so good. He's so versatile as a scorer. The one thing that always stood out to me from watching him from afar is like a guy that size, I'd look at box scores or I'd watch a game. I'd be like, so we got 29 shots up, got 23 yeah. shots up in this game, right? How many guys his size can get that many attempts in an NBA game? There aren't many. And it's because of the versatility of his skill. And as a result of that, teams have to really devote extra attention to him. And so he needs to continue to get better. And that's film room stuff in a lot of ways of understanding, you know, and, and he, I think one of the next steps for him is to understand how to position everybody else and to kind of direct traffic in the, okay, they're doing this. You'll see LeBron do this all of the, all the time and high level, you know, uh, does better LeBron. Do this as well. Yeah. Yeah, like high-level, high-post scorers will kind of direct traffic to manipulate the defense. I think that's the next step, Darius, in his offensive game and really the last thing that that's missing at an elite level. Well, some of that is just timing stuff too, right? We talked about this last week about like, oh, something that you appreciate more about LeBron when you see it day after day after day. And one of the things that that was true about was the timing in which he operates within a play and how he is always reading second and third defender, never primary defender, always second and third. And so that half a step where the second line defender is, is flirting with the defensive three second call. Right. And he's in the paint. He's in the paint. All right. Right. When he's making that step to go away is when LeBron is going to drive. Right. And that way he knows where the help is, how quick it's going to meet him. And so much and so much of that is just reps. I also think about too, Pete, is we grew up watching Shaq and Shaq wasn't a great passer when he first got to the Lakers. He was growing into that, but he was not that yet. And mm -hmm. Tim Duncan was a very similar player. Duncan was, was a guy who we saw a lot. We saw him a lot during the playoffs. We saw him a lot during the regular season. He was a Western Conference foe. And big guys, I feel like, don't actually become great passers. If, like, if you were just a primary big man until you've been in the league six, seven, eight years, right? Yeah, because Shaq got a lot better at that, yeah. There are some big guys like, well, like Jokic or a Bill Walton or um, an old school Arvita Sabonis, right? Who were, they are born with that gift, right. right? They are born with floor vision. They are born with, with passing feel. But other big guys, they have to grow into that. And some of the reads that I saw AD make during the playoffs versus the types of reads he was making during the regular season, I thought, oh, he's starting to get it now. He's starting to understand where the help defender is coming from. You would see him drive and then spin and then defenses would try to come at him. And then he's dumping the ball off to the cutter who is diving from weak side corner. 
those aren't just advanced reads. They are understanding what the defense is going to do against you in a very specific moment. I think what helps a lot is going through a long playoff run for that. Cause that's when your adjustment, you get to see the next night and in the regular season, you can watch tape. Let's say you played Memphis on Tuesday, you watch tape. Okay. This is what I did wrong in that game. I didn't make these kind of reads. And then you play Dallas on Friday and it's, Who's it's playing a totally a different, completely defense. different yeah. thing. And so the, it's, it's hard to build on that and really lock it into your brain. You know, that's why, de- that's why it's just playoff defense is better than regular season defense. And that's especially when you're in the film room watching with LeBron and Rondo and Vogel and company. And they're, those guys are pulling every little detail out of every little play. And it, it's just natural for somebody like AD uh, to, to st- for that stuff to sink into him game one to game two. And then all of a sudden by game four, game five, he can start to do that stuff himself more. And then you get to the second round, right? And it, it just in, it increases exponentially. And why do we, aside from LeBron and his basketball IQ and his, all that, he also, the fact that he's just played 260 plus playoff games, that's also part of, of how he's now seen it all. And there is not an adjustment that you can really throw. And I think that's the part where, remember guys, like AD's played a tiny, tiny fraction of games compared to LeBron James, even though he's 27, because he wasn't making these deep finals runs, right? So, so that's, that's the spot where I think uh, he, he does really have a lot of room still. No, Mike, look, 21 playoff games this season, that's like three times as many games as he had played from a playoff perspective to this point in his yeah, he, entire career. He had played 13 games total in the playoffs before, uh, before this one. And, and his playoff career stats, by the way, 27, 10, two and two with three assists, basically. I think he's like the third highest scorer <laughs> in playoff history. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. played at least 20 games. In yeah, the Jordan's playoff. one. And then uh, who's two? I think it's Iverson. AI, okay, playoff average, okay. Yeah, um, and and so the sky's the limit. He's somebody that 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 tape work, that experience, that point that Darius was making about big guys really settling into their passing as time goes on. Anthony Davis is only 27 years old, and he's someone whose skill set is so polished that it's evident that he is a a gym rat, right? He's somebody who's worked on a lot of the technical aspects of the game in a way that not every supremely talented player does, especially once they get to the NBA, once they get their second contract and make a ton of money, right? He's, He's somebody that has continued to work on his game. He was supposed to be the generation. So we've talked about this a lot, Pete, like the generational player, right? And not every draft produces that generational player, but but we've seen a handful of those over our careers, right? LeBron was one, uh, Shaq was one, uh, Tim Duncan was one, um, Anthony Davis yeah. was, was one, right? He was one of those guys where coming into the draft, he was one of the most hyped prospects of all time. And from the minute he was draft eligible, it was the idea that he could be the best power forward ever, right? Like that was, that was his ceiling as Mm -hmm. a draft prospect. And so now to see him make this type of playoff run, shoot the ball this well, play the level of defense that he played. It's, 
it's unbelievable to see it all come together and and see him in some ways just scratch the surface of what he can be, but also show that he's on that trajectory of what everyone thought he could be as a freshman coming out of Kentucky. Jared Dudley made a really interesting point. And I'm trying to remember when it was. It was at some point during the playoffs and we had him on for a live chat. And he said that AD, some of his favorite AD moments were young AD, his rookie year, his second year, when he didn't have any plays really called for him yet. And, and he was just this insane, bouncy, uh, like putbacks, duck-ins, uh, screen roll dives. And it just if you just think about his level of athleticism, right, to do all that stuff and then play defense and he's blocking everything. Same thing if you watch some of his like NCAA tournament stuff. Uh, at Kentucky and that like that AD is always there and always in there, but to, for him to have come this far to the point where he's averaging almost 30 on in an efficient style scoring from all over the court, that's part of what the remarkable thing is. And, and again, we haven't even touched on his probably better side of the floor yet. And we're going to take a quick break and do that. Mike said something there that I really want to hit on and emphasize uh, on because Anthony Davis is really the only guy in the NBA that fits this description at this level. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over, and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So you mentioned that his athleticism, his activity, his motor is always on. And I just want to point out how rare that is for somebody who gets 20 plus shots per game, right? And who gets as many touches, as much offensive responsibility. Whenever I chop tape, I've mentioned this, I believe before, but whenever I chop tape on a single player for a game and you condense just the plays in which they had a noticeable impact on that play, good or bad, they were involved in the play defense or offense. I'll come up with usually three and a half, four, four and a half minutes 
every once in a while get to five minutes on one player of plays that they genuinely impacted. Because most players, uh, take LeBron, for example, right? LeBron will selectively, and I'm not saying he doesn't play defense, right? But LeBron really makes a huge impact on the defensive end to spots, right? Anthony Davis consistently has seven or eight minutes of viable tape every single game. And that is extraordinary, right? The That was the thing to go back to the first segment of what you realize from watching him on a day-to-day basis yeah. is his motor, man. He's always going, Darius. This was the point I was going to make, but we didn't talk defense, right? Because, and I'm glad that you brought, <laughs> brought it up now, because if there was a thing that surprised me, so to speak, from watching him game to game, it's how involved he is. It's how active he is. It's how hard he plays, right? And so, look, how many times this year did you see AD sprint back in defensive transition and tip a long pass away, right? Or steal Mm -hmm. a pass or get back and block a shot in transition or just run hard even his rim runs on offense, I forgot to point out, he's got some of the best hands I've ever seen too on offense. Forgot to bring that up. But yeah, that running hard, whether it's defense or offense. And look, seven footers don't like to run that way. They just don't. Mm-hmm. A lot of them aren't gifted enough to do it in general. And not as many players as big as him are as light on their feet as he is, which I think shows up on both ends of the floor, but really shows up defensively because he's a three-level defender, right? Can switch on the guards, will protect the paint, can show at the point of attack, and then can play in like a quasi-drop coverage to to really control the mid-range. There's not a lot of guys who move like him in general, but to be able to move like that and have short area quickness, but also just be like, you know, look, I'm getting to this spot. It doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to run through it. Like in some ways it reminds you of like, he probably be the prize pupil of like a football coach who always are preaching, like play through the whistle, play through the whistle, like run hard, play hard. Right. Like that is the ethos of that sport. And that's what Anthony Davis is doing so many times. And people who do not watch him every game, might not get the fact that on a random Tuesday in January, it's the same as what it was on opening night against the Clippers, on what it was on a big Saturday matin- like, like matinee game against the Bucks, as it is against whatever top-tier team that you're throwing out there. It's going to be the same, too, against the Timberwolves, where he's just like, oh, yeah, guess what? Carl Anthony Towns, not your night. Tonight. And here's 50 on the other end. Yeah, like I'm going to eat your lunch on both sides of the floor. Why? Because who knows why? You went to Kentucky and you were supposed to be the next me, but guess what? You're not. So I'm just going to do it to you, right? Like who knows what's in his mind, but that's what he's doing night after night after night. And it's incredible to watch it. Well, he, I want to see if you guys, if your brains go to the same place here and I'm, I'm springing it on you. I have not prompted you on this at all. But historical comps, there's one player to me that I that I think of in like different style, uh, di- super different personality, 
but similar in a lot more ways than I think people have probably made this comp. But is is there a if is there a historical player? Just throw out one. You get one guess each. Uh, and this isn't right. This is just to see if it's the same one as I had. Uh, do you do you have a historical comp? I'd say David Robinson. Okay, good one. Darius. David Robinson's a good one. That is a good one. In his own way, he reminds me of Jabbar. So like, my oh, go ahead, go ahead, Darius. No, 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 please. No, just say say why it reminds you, and then I'll uh, I'll give you what my what my comp was. Like just body type, and there's a certain like toughness that comes from even even though he was skinny, there was like a toughness that he played with, but was often called like a perimeter guy, and he's sort of soft. He's shooting this like graceful shot, right? And but sorry, and this is a tangent here, but. There's this YouTube clip, and I'll try to find it and post it to my feed again. But it's it's one of those feeds where it's like it's floor level camera work of Kareem, and he's just posting up and shooting skyhooks time after time after time. But the way that it's shot is you see all the like fighting for position and all the little elbows and the way that he sits in his post stance in order to like establish position. And you realize how hard he's working before he makes a catch. And AD does a lot of that same stuff too, in order to move around the floor. So, so that's where my comp sort sort of comes from, Mike. I like that. So first of all, just, just stick on Pete's for a second and then we'll get to mine. Not that it's like that dramatic that I need this unveiling. So (laughs) Robinson age 26 season. Had some, these are his stats. All right, 37 minutes, 23.2 points on 55% from the field. And this is his third year in the NBA, by the way. Of course, he was had naval service uh, when he was age 22 and 23. So 23 points, 4.5 blocks. That was his career high. It went down to 3.2 the next. 2.3 steals, 2.7 assists, 12.2 boards. Those stats are not too unlike ADs, uh, aside from the blocks aren't there. And part of that is because Robinson was always at the rim. Defense is much different there. AD was often on the perimeter. I thought that brought his blocks total down, but still. um, AD this year, age 26 to start it, finishes at 27. 26 points, 9.3 boards, 3.2 assists, 1.5 steals, 2.3 blocks. in, uh, In about three minutes fewer per game than Robinson. Now, the guy that I was thinking of was Kevin Garnett. And... So it, it, after it, it, it's kind of obvious, right? It's like, oh, wait, can actually guard one through five, can take you off the dribble and get to the rim, can smash it on you on a screen roll, um, plays hard the whole time he's on the floor. Now, the difference is KG is frothing at the mouth and ADs look kind of chilling, at least from a persona standpoint. Mm-hmm. But he's got a lot of that dog um, in him as well. And so KG's numbers... And I was so he played almost 40 minutes a game, then he had to do everything for that Wolves team. But his age 26 year, 23 points, 13 boards, six assists, 1.4 steals, 1.6 blocks. And like, like all those three are relatively similar. But you know, Robinson, Pete, let me let, why don't you talk about Robinson since since he was your uh, since he was your your comparison there. But you know, that's some that was KG about a year removed from MVP. And I, I think a top 20 all-time player, I think he's underrated because I think his defense was that insane and yeah. he did all that stuff on offense. But yeah, that that's the one that stood out to me um, was kind of prime KG. Yeah, I, I, you know, my affinities for Kevin Garnett 
went away after a certain trade, but he was one of my <laughs> yeah. favorite. This is Minnesota. This is Minnesota KG. We're yeah. Yeah. I, I can still like him. Um, he yeah. was one of my favorite non-Lakers in the league. I loved KG. And, oh, by the way, just imagine him and Kobe together. It, it oh, happened. Man, those were like, I remember all the trade shut rumors. It, and, shut it down, bro. Yeah. He, he and Pa was a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that that happened. But like, imagine that team. Just, just like the intensity and oh my goodness. Yeah, no, Garnett was Garnett could do everything, and that's where the you know the company co- comparison to AD really really shines through. Um, it's, I want to take a moment to appreciate David Robinson not only averaging four and a half blocks per game, but also two point three steals in the same season. Right? Dude, How many guys stocks, have averaged stocks king? Yeah, exactly, stocks king and him Robinson, and Elijah one. Robinson, yeah, Elijah yeah, one was like that too. Uh, Robinson was the first runs the floor like a guard big of the 90s right like even the other bigs that were in the league your Ewings Olajuwon was tremendously agile but he was not a a, a rim runner the way that Robinson was quite to the same degree um and Robinson had that sweet lefty jumper from about 20 feet away this is before you know we were saying hey just take a couple steps back and shoot but he would have totally been a, a stretch five in today's game and he was he had those broad shoulders and he was that physique, right. That was, yeah. he was really well built. That's one thing where the comparison of 80 to Garnett, one of the first places I went is like, but yeah, 80 bigger, right. KG never like he filled out. He was a twig when he came out of Farragut, but uh, he never filled out to the degree that Anthony Davis did. And so Garnett was powerful, but not as powerful like that move that Darius was describing where he, you know, gets that there was a guard screen on the left sideline where it was that play with the Lakers run where AD has the ball. And then one of the guards, uh, you know, sets, I think it was Caruso sets the ball screen comes off of it, drives baseline spins around Exum as the help defender rises up and dunks on Ed Davis. Right. KG had that, but like, he didn't have that. I'm going to go through you in the same way that AD does. And David Robinson, I think had a little bit more than that. So that's why I tend to lean a little bit more toward that side. Robinson was so great. And historically, he will forever be underrated because of his head-to-head matchups with Hakeem and Dream, you know, took his lunch. He didn't win a title until Duncan came in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also, too, it was the year that Hakeem got his ring or one of his rings was Robinson's. MVP year, right? And then they met in the playoffs. And so that will forever historically diminish Robinson in the eyes of of just like his natural peer and comp at that time, right? Which, but, and then there was the back injury and everything else. But Robinson was so good when people talk about, oh, which which player from 20 years ago or 25 years ago would play great in today's NBA? Oh my God. He'd like, be unbelievable. Robinson is one of those guys who is at the top of that list because he was a fierce run and jump athlete. He had tremendous skill and, and was just like, Oh my goodness, this dude, he was chiseled from marble. This guy. So the- the word chiseled there, as you guys were talking, I texted Michael Thompson because he was obsessed with David Robinson's biceps. Uh, <laughs> M- MT, he, one of the big things, he and Kermit Washington were two of the first guys in the league to lift. And if you guys have ever, uh, anybody that's either listened to Michael or been around him or follow, follows him on Twitter, he carries this huge photo of him around when he had his peak bicep, when he's like wearing, um, what do you call him, like the 
the thing you put on your foot flippers or whatever. He's got a snorkel and he's sitting on it. <laughs> and and, and he, he was, he's just so obsessed with biceps. And so he always was talking about um, David Robinson and just how ridiculous cut, uh, ridiculously cut up he is. So I texted him this just quickly. I was like, Hey, uh, my favorite cop for AD, Kevin Garnett, um, Pete mentioned David Robinson. He goes, yes, but AD is better. Uh, and then I said, do you have a comp you like more? And he said, Duncan, but AD has better range. So, yeah, I mean, you can bring parts of Duncan's game into this as well. I just, I, I think the guard skill stuff is what draws me more. And the versatility on defense is the difference between from yeah. AD and KG to even Duncan and Robinson, because, you know, Duncan and Robinson weren't switching out onto point guards. Maybe, maybe early Robinson could have, if Pete, if, had they done that more. But like that's that's the thing that made AD so devastating this playoff stretch and made KG like I don't it didn't matter who you were he could go he could give you a, a real hard time. So AD could shut off the faucet and that's something that I really want to focus on here, Darius, is that the playoff run of when teams get into their high level defense and are making their best rotations. One of the reasons why I was super confident about our ability to shut down Miami in particular was that so much of their offense, and I think this bodes well for a golden state matchup, perhaps this coming season is so much is based off of advantage created by a shooter, right? So Duncan Robinson, this was early in game six and Duncan Robinson is being locked and trailed by KCP and they're on the left side of the floor and Bam sets, so Duncan comes up, Bam sets the, the screen for him and AD shows high because it's Duncan Robinson and KCP is a lot shorter than Robinson. So if you don't step up on that catch edge, then he's just going to elevate over KCP and it's not going to bother him. So AD comes up, steps up, gets a hand up and immediately the passing read is to Bam, Right. That's how basketball works. You take one thing away, you're giving up something else. AD is one of the only players in the NBA who can take away both things. And it's in part because he has, he can get, he can get lazy with this sometimes or get lax with it sometimes. But when he's focused, which is most of the time, his defensive fundamentals are perfect. He contested that but didn't contest it with his right hand because that's Duncan Robinson is right-handed shooter, right-handed shooter means left-handed closeout, right? So he's doing that with his left hand contesting high Duncan Robinson at six, nine, six, 10, however big he is, is saying, no, I'm not going to take this shot, but I know Bam's open on the roll because he came, AD came up high on the head, catch edge. Well, what is he AD doing with his right hand? He's got his right hand out, right? It's perfect defensive technique. And so he's sweeping with his right hand and he gets the deflection as soon as he passes that to Bam, right? If when you come up that high on a catch hedge, you're giving up that role. And then usually that means that the guy behind him has to rotate. You're in rotation at that point, right? Even if somebody comes over to stop Bam, you have, somebody's going to get an open shot against the closeout. But Darius, he's the guy that can just take both things away defensively in a way that I don't think we've ever had a defender like him on Lakers. Look, man, he doesn't only do it on plays like that, which is amazing at the point of attack, right? Because so much of modern NBA defense is, is how do you handle screen actions and how do you handle handoff actions at the point of, of attack? And if you're a big man who can get um, taken advantage of there up high on the floor, the opposition is going to scheme you off the floor. 
by continuing to hit that pressure point time after time after time and basically say you are not capable of defending this action. And now that means someone else has to play. So AD can not only shut, shut that stuff down, but what he can do too is, and we talked about this, Pete, but the Lakers, no roller behind mm-hmm. scheme, right. And which plays into their want to play in basically like a drop coverage with their big men, AD, I don't think I've seen another big man. And this is where the KG comp I think is great, Mike, because there's very few big men and maybe none in the league today, I don't think. And maybe someone will correct me here and I'm forgetting a guy. But on the drop coverage of playing so light on your feet that he can stab at the ball handler while also then getting back onto his back foot to prevent lob action, right? And he keeps inviting the ball to get closer and closer to him while not giving anything up. And the play that stands out to me that was the best version of that was in game one where he basically baited Dragic to get all the way in to the paint and Goran thought, all right, like now I've got him. I'm four or five feet away from, from the basket. I, he's sagging off now because he thinks I'm going to throw this lob. I'm going to shoot this floater. And then AD comes out of nowhere again and just basically knocks it away. And it's like, where the hell did you come from? You were not close enough to me. How did you order? to get to that and but there yeah, he was and it's sure. that sort of playing in between where most times man you're in the middle like that and you're in no man's land like you're dead you're either giving up the lob or you're giving up the floater but ad never seems to be off balance he never seems to be out out of sorts even when you think you have him in a compromised position he's just rarely comp because he throws his hands out. He has great dexterity with his arms and with his hands. And he's just able to get deflections, swipe balls away. And, and he understands angles and his reach. And he's just a special, special defensive talent, man. Yeah, I mean, and Darius, you're right. There aren't really any other comps today that can do could, that can do that specific thing. And I love that you brought out that Dragic play. Uh, that was like that was probably my favorite defensive play too of the series. And you saw then how Kendrick Nunn, when he started to play more later in the series, like in Game Six, was like, "Bruh, like what? What, what do am I do I with this guy? Do with this guy? <laughs> this this sucks. <laughs> this is not this is not cool. I mean, I get, like Serge Ibaka. I guess has had some moments." like that but he's not quite as long as ad and doesn't you know and certainly isn't anywhere near the complete player um i mean yeah like a couple mitchell robinson possessions here and there with that kind of freakish length but yeah but it's not it's it's nobody that can do it consistently and just to touch back on the my the quick little text combo i was having with michael thompson it's the it's the lateral quickness that separates yeah. ad for and kg from the rest of the the more typical bigs Right, they can, uh, the, and that's that's the element that lets him get out on the perimeter. And you know, you could throw Giannis, I suppose, in some of this. It, it's a it's a little different, but somebody that that also is that long, 
And that's that that lateral movement, which he can employ in so many different areas of the court. But we think about it most sort of from three point line to the rim. And like I remember you guys on your pod, one of your pods early in the season, and you guys both talking about that fact that it's just insane how when you're watching the, the film, when you can you see how he gets to the three point line and to the rim and back and forth. And it's just such a sudden movement or he can cut across the lane. It's it's beautiful to watch on that side. That lateral quickness speaks to a broader point that I think is really core to both ends of the court. One of the things I loved about the 2015 Warriors is their style of play began to emerge that I realized early in the season, I, I remember telling some friends of mine, I was a 49er fan at the time, so a lot of my buddies were Warriors fans. And I was like, you know, most teams can get two or three attacks on the, on the basket in that 24 seconds. And this team's getting six or seven of them because it's like, Oh, that's clay coming off of, of a, a, an off ball screen. And then that's Draymond rolling to the rim off of the short roll. And then that's, and so there's at some point the defense is going to make a mistake. And that was, that's one of the brilliant parts of their offense. And Miami plays a similar style of play too, where you got to make three, four five, you got to take away all of those attacks that same premise is true on the defensive end as well. And Anthony Davis makes so many attacks on the offense, most of which don't work in terms of getting a steal or a deflection from that perspective, but it it does, it, it increases the frequency of that. And he also does a tremendous job, Darius, of dissuading guys yes. from doing the thing that they want to do, right? Yes, because he shows you this is like, there's this old story about Shaq, right? And Shaq would talk, talk about how he didn't like to foul, really. But every once in a while, a guy would come in, he would come in hard, <laughs> and Shaq would like do that fake, like, I'm trying to block you, but really he would just like turn his hip and uh -huh. basically turn into a brick wall, right? Get and, to his forearm. Yep, and, I remember that. And he would and obliterate he guys. And he would flatten you. He would literally flatten you. And yeah, it's, dude, it's it's throwing a fastball inside in the first inning, right? Like it's buzzing perfect the tower. analogy. Yes, um, it's it's taking an early tackle in soccer, going going down. On, like one of my coaches would always say, "Go go slide some tackle somebody in the first minute." Uh, like it's it's that's that's it, Darius. It's it's to impact them mentally, right? For Shaq for the rest of the game. Exactly, and so AD, but AD doesn't do anything malicious like that right he's not physically going to knock you down or or play extra rough with you elbow you yeah there's none of that what and he Bron does doesn't Bron doesn't really either much other than like pack westbrook uh in in round yeah. two that seemed to be something he was enjoying well, doing lebron will like <laughs> truck you though right like that's he true, will true, yeah. run over something there is a I mean, def like, I mean defensively yeah defensively. For sure. yeah for sure yeah, and Shaq would do that offensively too, right? Where it's just like, oh, guess what? So, oh, I didn't realize your face was where my elbow was. <laughs> right, right? They like, ripped through exactly, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Little, little didn't realize that. But, like, it's the drop step, but like the drop step with, uh, I'm not a huge wrestling guy, but what, like, is there a people's elbow? Is that a wrestling thing? Is that <laughs> You're a... talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But I'm not, again, I, I feel like there's something with the rock or some kind of elbow, some people's thing, whatever. It is, I believe it's the people's elbow, yes. But I think that's a dropping, but yes. I'll Google that while Darius talks. Sounds good. <laughs> but what AD does though, is over the course of a game, he gets to 
places and challenges shots that you do not expect him to. And over the course of a game and then in the playoffs, I think it's even more important because over the course of a series, you see it enough where it's like, oh no, I really can't try that this time. This guy's lurking. And it's that idea that we've talked about a lot, Pete, where it's like you start to like you start to see ghosts. You start to hear Mm -hmm. footsteps. Footsteps, yep. Right? And it's like, okay, this guy's lurking. And to speak to what Mike mentioned earlier, Kendrick Nunn was a guy who never saw ghosts. Like, he's just like, oh, I'm just going to attack every single time. And AD was just like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm blocking. This has no chance of working. Yeah, Yeah. like, I'm blocking you right right at the rim. Oh, you're going to try a reverse layup this time? Yeah, well, guess what? I'm getting that one, too. Oh, a floater. Yeah, that's not working. And and that dissuasion, right? There was a study that, um, it might have been Kirk Goldsberry, but it was one of those, it was one of those analytics guys. And they presented on this idea at one of the Sloan Con conferences, and this was maybe seven, eight, nine years, years ago. But that idea of, of one of the ways that we should start to measure defense is based off like, oh, well, how many shots aren't you taking when right. I'm in the game versus when I am in the game, right? Because that difference should be like that. Well, that difference speaks to your defensive ability as much as the counting stats do, right? Like, oh, a block shot or a deflection or or a steal. Those things, those things matter, obviously, because you see those. But the shots that guys don't even take or the drives where they veer off and then take it back out to the sideline or they do the hockey dribble, right? Where they go underneath the basket and then circle around in hopes to get a different advantage. And this speaks to the idea of like one of the things that the Lakers defense did so well over the course of the playoffs was forcing resets on the offense. And so much of that was AD, man. Like, how many times did you see swing, swing, swing? The rotations are all there. And a lot of times that starts with Anthony Davis, either at the point point of attack or making one of those key, key rotations, not only to rotate out, to deny a three-point attempt, but then sliding off of the dribble. And then now there's no advantage and it's a kick out back to the wing. And it's like, all right, there's eight seconds left on the shot clock now, and we got nothing going. Larry Nance Jr. had a tweet uh, commenting on the defensive player of the year race that I thought yeah. was really telling on who he would give it to. And it really speaks to your point, Darius, is he said he would give it to AD just because you have to know where he is at all times, right? And that's that sort of dissuasion, and even not just dissuasion, it's distraction too. If you're thinking, if you're giving, you know, this much mental energy toward where is Anthony Davis, that means you're not giving that much energy to something else that you could be giving it to. So seeing him on a night-to-night basis on the defensive end, I've really grown an appreciation for his fundamentals. Um, He can let them slip sometimes because as often, you know, really talented guys can do that. But when he really locks in, just he does the closeouts with his correct hand. He 
chases guys off the three-point line. He understands how defense works on a, on a intellectual level, right? It's not just this talented athlete that's running around, right? He really knows what he's doing. So I guess my question is for, for you, Mike, in a overall sense, offense, defense, whichever way you want to go with this, what is next for Anthony Davis? The, the player that we saw in the postseason that, that didn't seem to have many weaknesses, maybe save for the one of making that right read out of double team, so, sort of that part of just the overall offensive IQ part um, that's just going to grow with more repetition. So I, I, to bring it back full circle, Pete, I, I do think that that's the spot uh, where they can get more. You know, there. I don't know if there's another level defensively that either he should or has to reach. Uh, maybe it gets better just in the fact that he's going to get to know his teammates more. Um, at like again, that was year one, and he and LeBron sort Amazing. of had to learn on the fly. And who else on this team is going to stick around? I like. I do think that's one of the reasons why Caruso had so much success is because he's so smart intuitively about basketball that he was able to kind of pick that up on how to fit in around these two. He's he's literally, that's what he's thinking about. He's on the court thinking, how do I maximize what Davis does? And so I think that part will help too, getting a couple more players like that. But, you know, I maybe just the three gets even more accurate. You know, he, uh, he picks his spots about where to drive a little more, but there's nothing that stands out a ton aside from that next level um, as a, as a IQ reading the play on the offensive side for me. For me, I'm just wondering is, is the level of shooting that he displayed during the postseason, <clears throat> if not to that full level, but is that real over the course of a full regular season? Because if it is, then his, his function as an offensive player is going to go through the roof in a way that's going to propel him into the MVP conversation pretty much like every season. Yeah. Because his, so his defensive level is so high, right? And one of the, if you even want to call it a knock, but one of the knocks that you would probably hear about AD is he's not a self creator as much. Um, and that he's, He's mostly a finisher, right? But he's probably the best finisher in the league in terms of a player who can um, generate the types of makes on baskets that he does off of assist, like off of other players' passes, right? And so he is finishing the play. But if he can operate out of the mid post or the triple threat at the level that he did during the playoffs over the course of a full regular season, that is an MVP level player, right? Because that's a guy who is shooting, you know, even if it's mid to high forties on long two point shots. And to Mike's point, if he is making 36 or 37% of his three point point attempts, um, and if it's 38 or 39 on catch and shoot attempts, right, which is the types of shots that he's going to get most of the time while playing next, well, next to LeBron. And then you add in the defense, like there is no ceiling for yeah. this type of player. And, and the only ceiling is, is, okay, well, do we actually want to give him the MVP this year? 
I'm gonna let me flip this to Pete about Darius's question about the shooting, because to me it it looks so smooth and pure that I don't see any reason. Like no matter what the percentages say, right? If he like has a amazing mid range percentage again next year versus three, I don't know if that matters just because of the technique of it. But you know, Pete, that's the stuff that you watch more closely than me. Uh, what like? Why would there not be sustainability there from a shooting standpoint? There's there's no reason for there not to be. He shot over 40% from three from January 1st on until the end of the regular season. And then he shot over 40% from three in the the bubble and so or in the playoffs. The the biggest knock I would have on him, like his his motor is always there on the defensive end, but he can float from time to time on the offensive end. And I think that really manifests itself in he's got a variance in his shooting stances that sometimes his feet are closer together. Sometimes they're wider apart. He's not as diligent with his footwork. That's one of the few places during the regular season where it's like, oh, AD's kind of kind of messing around in this game. Right. And he'd rarely do that on the defensive end. You could always rely on him there, but offensively with his jumper. And that's why I think it speaks to, this was the third playoff run that he had where he was phenomenal in the playoffs, right? Even though his team got knocked out in the first round, the first time, then they beat Portland in that second year that they went to the playoffs. And then obviously the finals run this year, but he was great in each of them in part because he's got all of those tools, but it takes a degree of focus to be able to, apply that every single night. And if I had to pick between the offensive end or the defensive end for a guy to do it every night, especially with his talents, obviously the defensive end, right? But that is, in terms of when it really matters, there's no reason for him not to be able to shoot like that. I will say, can I say this too, Mike? Because I think that this is important about what sort of the next level is for him next season is this year his on-off splits were not very strong. And it was because of like some underperformance of the Lakers, I think particularly offensively when LeBron was on the bench. And that script totally flipped during the postseason. And I think Mm -hmm. if next regular season mirrors more like the postseason did, during this championship run, then AD is going to be looked at, I think, as like, oh, this dude probably is like, you know, the the second or like the first or second or third best player in the league. But but there will be no doubts about like, oh, do the Lakers have two of the top five players, right? Because the stuff that I feel like the outside critics hold against him are things like, oh, well, but they fell off when LeBron went to the bench and like the playoffs sort of ended that conversation, but I feel like that's temporary and we're going to have to see it during the regular season again, but that's just sort of like picking nits. Yeah. Well, he, gets, he, he also though now Darius, he gets the benefit of the doubt now because he just did it at the highest level in the playoffs. So that, which wasn't there last year for him, but as you were saying that what was annoying me not from what you said sure. at all, but the re- the reason he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year is because of those minutes with the second unit. Whereas, oh, that's right, Mike Giannis hates is, these on-off splits. Yes. Yeah, this is a. <laughs> Whereas that's why Giannis won MVP and DPOY because they didn't have those that same on-off thing, and part of it was because he only played thirty minutes per game, and he almost never played with just a group of second unit guys and Rondo in the regular <laughs> season 
was not I, look i know i'm gonna get a tweet from harrison now about this right <laughs> like there uh about my this rant and this so i'm gonna keep this short but that part of it was not be, like it ad didn't just become a different or a poor defender because the on-off numbers for him with the second unit it was really much more about the offense getting stagnant and then them getting going down the other end and scoring so that just pisses me off that that's like the real reason why um, everybody cited. Oh no, no, nope! Look, look at the net rating on defense. It, you can't argue with it. I'm like, well, I can explain it in ten seconds if you want, but nobody's going to do that. So it is what it is, and he got second. And maybe to its tiny degree, that helped them to find a little extra motivation to win the title. But I don't even buy that either because it wasn't like this was my game seven Portland series two thousand. That was my Kobe lob to Trudell as Shaq. For him to oh, go man. on his Giannis rant. He didn't yes. even get into play the Knicks eight times a year. Yeah, no, no. I was surprised. He <laughs> held that in reserve. Bro, uh, if the, if next year, if the East, if the if they do the geographical matchups more, and we haven't seen what they're going to do with the schedule yet, and oh, like, the Bucks play, you know, the Hornets five times, and the Knicks five times, and the Lakers instead have to play the Clippers five times, and the, that, that's going to start that whole thing again, and I just just be prepared for many a rant as the regular season goes on. <laughs> so, to your point that it was more on the offensive end, that to me is the last bastion for AD, is to know how the five-on-five five works more. We talked a lot about the passing reads, but this goes beyond that, right? Like, what are the plays against their particular against their particular defense that they're running, right? To be less reliant upon a ball handler because he's a ball handler in and of himself. And yeah. one one thing I'd like to see more of is we ran a lot of side ball screens for him and it was out of a lot of ATOs at timeouts. I think he can be a pick and roll player in the way that Kawhi has become a better pick and roll player, right? I don't know if, if you guys noticed that in Kawhi this year, but him and Zoo had a really good connection where Kawhi's not a, still not a great passer, but he can out of ball screens make that read. There's no reason Anthony Davis can't do that. He's yeah. got the pull up jumper from mid range to be able to do that quickly. Pete, that's yeah. why. Like that wasn't even two three years ago. Like that wasn't there as much, and that was the knock on him. Right? right, he doesn't have that like make his team better offensive game that LeBron does, that you know Steph does, that KD does. That was where Kawhi didn't have that as much, and now he's kind of added that, which I think is a great way to bring up where AD can go with it. That's right. And so I think that he can become more of that passer out of ball screens. He's got everything in his skill set to be able to do that. But just overall to be getting this deep into someone's bag is, is phenomenal. And that's before you even get to the defensive part. We spent a whole first segment just talking about how wonderful he was on offense this year. And he's, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the league too. And if you, the, the mental stuff, the long-term stuff, the, the real things that come with experience that only come with experience. If you put that to the side and just look at the skills of the game of basketball and what you need to do on the court, you'd be hard pressed to find a better player in the NBA. And um, we're, we're very lucky to have him. He was, you know, right up, up near the top of contributors to this championship. I was thinking that this was going to be the last one that we did of these celebrating people's contribution, but I'd like to do one more on, on the Lakers role players, right? Yeah. There are a bunch of guys that I don't think maybe we would do a whole show on, but I would love to hit a few guys. Right. And so I think we'll do that next Monday on Wednesday. We'll get back to the general pods. What's up, D? No, no, no. I'm with you there, man. Like, look, the Lakers do not win without Dwight Howard. They do not win without Alex Caruso. They do not win without Rajon Rondo, without KCP, without Danny Green. Like you, and then you get 
Morris and all these guys, man. Like the, the beauty about this Lakers team was that it was a true team effort. You hear it. Like I've now listened to podcasts from Danny Green and Alex Caruso and Jared Dudley. And all of these guys have talked on and on about what it meant to all of them, right? Together as a group to go out there and do it night, night after night. And so, yes, we definitely have to hit on those guys too. So we'll definitely do that for next Monday's show on Wednesday. Hold we'll on, get back. You, you sure you don't want to do a, just a Caruso pun? Oh. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. just kidding. <laughs> just, you know, don't we'll, don't we'll, tempt we'll toss, me. We'll toss it around. We'll think about you know it. We'll I, about you it. know we could. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that'll be for next Monday if we do. And uh, we'll have a general NBA pod on Wednesday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.